You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our reading this morning is Psalm 128, a song of ascent. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his way. You shall eat the fruit of labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruit vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so everyone has that one Instagram account, right? That one Instagram where everything is just perfect, right? And, and you know the one that I'm talking about because it's the one that just jumped to the front of your mind, right? You know, it, it's probably, may, may, maybe they've got like an, it's an attractive couple or an attractive person. Uh, and, and, and probably their, their kids are like super obedient, right? They look like they're super, probably 2.5 of them. Everything, their style is just on point. All their hobbies, all their, their home is styled perfectly. Um, and and the, you ever notice that the lighting in the, their pictures are just always perfect? How do they get the lighting right every single time? You know, older generations m- may have called this keeping up with the Joneses, but what we're actually doing is that we're just putting our eyes constantly on others. We're constantly putting our eyes on someone else to see how we measure up to see if we measure up to what they have done. And maybe, maybe what you've actually done is you've just simply unfollowed this account. You've decided I'm not even going to have this in my feed anymore because all it does is serve to make me feel bad about my own life, and I don't need that. See, if we're not careful, this is how we're going to treat Psalm 128 this morning. This is how we're going to treat our psalm this morning. It's going to be that account that we go to that serves to just make us feel bad about our own lives, or you're actually just going to dismiss it altogether. Right? If we're not careful, we're going to be tempted to veer off in one of two directions because we're going to treat this psalm as merely an example. It's merely going to be an example for how our, our lives ought to look. So either we're going to look at it and we're going to say, well, that's nice, but no, nobody's life looks like this. This is unattainable. Right? So we'll just dismiss it. Like, for instance, when I was in undergrad, the first thing I'd do at the first day of every new semester is I'd get the syllabus and I'd flip to the back of it. Um, and, the, and, and I'd always look for, like, what is the final project? What's the fi- how, how much percent uh, is my grade going to be attributed to the final exam? And I'd look at it and I'd go, like, I can't do this. I can't do I don't have the tools to do this. I don't know why I'm taking weather patterns anyways. I'm a health major. I'd just look at it and say, like, I, I'm, what's, the, what's the last day I can drop this class? without it affecting my GPA. And so we might look at this psalm and say, like, this is, this is not worth my time because I can't even do this anyway. Or number two, we're going to look at it and we're going to say, this is what I need to make my life look like in order to be happy. We're going to look at these words and we're going to say, these are the things I need to fill my life with in order to have meaning. See, another example would be, right, you ever see the expectation versus reality photos online? Where, like, you've got this really elaborate, like, cake that was uh, made. It's like a football. It's like on a tee. It's made for a football uh, party or something like that. And you say, I'm going to make that because i got a Super Bowl party coming up. I want my party to be awesome. And, you, and yours just ends up turning out like a flattened out penny. Like, you don't know why. There's a picture of Abraham Lincoln on it anyway. Uh, but it, it, it looks more like a penny than it looks like their football. 
And so that's what we're going to do with this. See, both of these errors are going to get us in the long run. You're either going to dismiss it right away or you're going to utilize it as an example. And eventually you'll realize you can't measure up anyway. And so both of these are going to get us in the end. See, Psalm 128 is what we can call idyllic. It's peaceful. It's calm. It's perfect. And I mean, it's a psalm about blessing, right? So I mean, why, why would it not be perfect? The word blessed or blessed shows up three times in only six verses here. Or excuse me, four times in only six verses. And three times, though, we see the word the Lord. When it, when it shows up in your Bible and it's all caps, that's actually God's covenant name. It's Yahweh. And so we see Yahweh show up three times in only six verses. And his name is always in relation to blessing. Right? In verse 1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Verse 4, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And then verse 5, the Lord bless you. See, what's being communicated is that true blessing comes from our covenant God. That's where it comes from. And so, therefore, the the point of this psalm and the point of my sermon is this. Our covenant-keeping God blesses his covenant people. Our covenant-keeping God blesses his covenant people. And I want to unpack that point in three points. The blessed man, the blessed household, and the blessed community. Blessed man, blessed household, blessed community. So starting with point number one, the blessed man. Look with me in verses one and verse four. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. And then verse four, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. You see, verses one and four function as as kind of brackets in our text uh, that surround the life of the blessed man. Commentator Derek Kidner writes of this psalm, he says, here is simple piety with its proper fruit of stability and peace. Simple piety. Everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. Simple, right? Simple doesn't always mean easy, but simple with its proper fruit of stability and peace. And here in Psalm 128.1, we read essentially a restatement of how the Psalter begins. Psalm 1 begins, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. See, the Psalms from the very beginning paint a picture of blessedness that looks like what we're seeing here, right? Delighting in God and walking in his ways. See, in the Bible, to be blessed uh, is, is to enjoy well-being in every area of your life. Blessed is a, is a holistic term. So some of your translations may say happy, and happy is helpful because it, it fills it out a little bit. But really, blessed is there is not one area of your life that you can say is not blessed. And I don't know about you guys, but I know that I'm a sinner, so I know that I can't make that statement about my own life unless you're willing to call sin blessed. See, what the psalmist is describing over and over is that throughout this psalm, a life of enjoying a blessing, uh, this psalm is a life of enjoying blessings of obedience to the covenant. And so what, what covenant is that? See, earlier in your Bible, in Exodus, God had redeemed the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery by his mighty right arm. He had pulled them out of oppression, um, and he, may, he took them out into the wilderness and made a covenant with them, where he says over and over to them, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's covenant language. I will be yours, and you will be mine. And, and then right as God's people are readying to enter into the promised land in Deuteronomy 28, 
Moses describes the blessings and curses that come with keeping this covenant. And so this psalm focuses on the blessings, so I'm going to focus on the blessings. But those blessings encompass peace and prosperity, blessings in the workplace, uh, blessings in the home, blessings in the nation. It's a holistic blessing. And so therefore, we have to see that this psalm, Psalm 128, is a poetic rendering of the beautiful life promised to those who fear God and keep his commands. It's a promise. And as we've been saying all along, if you've been, been with us through this series, is that the Psalms of Ascent, um, are, these are songs that the Israelites would have been singing on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem every year. And so what they're singing here, this is a song for the road. What they're singing is like an anthem reminding themselves of the blessings that are promised to them through, uh, through their covenant keeping and through their covenant with God. But what we have to do is we have to stop and unpack verse 1 for just a minute. Right, verse 1 reminded, uh, says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. John Calvin comments here, he says, The blessed life requires these two things. The fear of God and the keeping of his law are inseparable. Therefore, it's impossible to be blessed, at least, at least in biblical terms, without fearing or revering God, and obeying his commandments. And I know that you all know this, right? This is, Christ- this is pretty much religion 101. This is Christianity 101. But here's the bad news. Paul tells us in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so what this means is that no one fears the Lord. And so right at the outset of this psalm, we realize that left to our natural selves, we cannot fear God as the Bible calls us to. We can't. And now you may be saying, well, pastor, that's a little harsh. I may admit you're right. Maybe I'm not perfect, but you know what? I, I love God. I try, to, I try to listen to him. I, I try to be obedient as I can, and maybe I'm not perfect, but let's, let's not just take my words for it, okay? Let's, let's look at what the Bible has to say. Elsewhere in Romans 3, we read Paul saying, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so maybe now you're saying, well, Paul, a theologian, he's real harsh. Um, No, what Paul is actually doing here is he's actually quoting Psalm 14, Psalm 53, and Psalm 36. So this is a holistic teaching of the Bible. And what Paul is actually doing is he is taking what David says about his enemies, and he's applying it to all of humanity. And now there is a lot in that one statement that I don't have time for, but David is take, or Paul is taking what David has said about his enemies, and he's applying it to everyone. So now, of course, the reason for this is what the Bible calls sin. Again, nothing you don't already know. See, in the original creation, God created everything, and he called it very good. And he had placed Adam... Um, in the garden as a representative of all of humanity. He's what theologians have called our federal head. And so what that means, it's in the same way that we have a federal representative in our area that is meant to go to D.C., and he represents our interests on our behalf. Adam was our representative. He was our federal representative in the capital city of the garden. And so what that means is that what he did, he did on behalf of all of us. But what he did not do, he also did not do on behalf of all of us. So what the Bible is teaching is that when he fell... We all fell because he represented all of us. It's as if you or I were there. We would have done the same thing. And so with all this in front of us, it makes us ask, with Paul, who will deliver us from this body of death? 
But we can equally respond with Paul and say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. See, the good news is, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have, if you have believed on him to have done what you could not do, lived the perfect life, died the perfect death, he, he died the death that our sin deserved, on the third day he rose, and he's right now seated at the right hand of the Father, do you know what that means? It means you have a new federal head. It means that uh, he is your representative. He was the second Adam, the federal representative that we need. He was the fulfillment of Israel, perfectly obeying all of the laws of the covenant. He alone perfectly feared the Lord. See, of all the people that ever walked the face of the earth, he alone deserved the blessings that come with this covenant. Yet he gave it up so that we could have it. He gave it up so that we could brought in. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then Adam and his sin no longer define you. It's Jesus and his righteousness that defines you. By faith, your heart is now renewed to fear God, and you now even desire to walk in his ways. And so now we, we, we exist in what, what theologians have called the already not yet, right? If you want a little bit more in-depth on that teaching, that tension, I would really encourage you. We did a sermon series earlier in the year um, explaining that tension at length, and I would encourage you to go back. But So I'm not going to cover it at length here, but I'll just say it's what Martin Luther has called simul justus et peccator. And what that means is that uh, we as uh, justified people are simultaneously justified and sinful. It acknowledges the fact that though you are, as Ephesians 1 says, blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, Though that is absolutely true, we are still wrapped in sinful flesh. We still live in a sin-laden world. Sin still shows its effects all around us, and we acknowledge that things are not what they should be. And so now, now that we understand verse 1 rightly, that this psalm is describing the blessings that come with keeping, keeping the covenant that none of us have kept, but Jesus did on our behalf, we can now move into the rest of the psalm and see how it applies to our lives. So point number two is the blessed household. Look with me in verses two and three. We read, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. And so what the psalmist is continuing to do here is draw out on the covenant blessings that we see described for us in Deuteronomy 28 including the blessings of the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground. But as we acknowledged earlier, right, though we are saved, we're, we're, we still live in a sin-laden world. And so some are going to read this psalm, and, and things are going to jump out as problematic, right? Some are going to read this psalm, and verse 2 is going to stand out, because you know what? For you, work is particularly difficult. Maybe you don't even like your job. So work is hard. Um, but even the, for those that love their jobs, we don't, we don't always eat the fruit of the labor of our hands all the time, right? I love my job. I love that I can, I can say that I, I get to pastor you all vocationally. I get to call this uh, how I earn my living. But you know what? Work is still hard. Even though I love my job, I don't always get to eat the fruit of the labor of my hands. And do you know why that is? It's because you're sinners. It's because I'm a sinner, See, we bring our sin into our relationships. We bring our sin into our workplaces, and we don't always get out of it what, what we're putting in. See, 
but what, like we learned last week in Psalm 127, see, Psalm 127 and Psalm 128, they're known as companion psalms. They should really be read together. There's, they have a lot of the same themes. And so like we learned last week in Psalm 127, um, we, we as Christians ought to be some of the hardest working folks out there. N- not because we're trying to earn the approval of man the appro- or even the approval of God by how hard we work, but because of where we're working from. Remember, Pastor Christian reminded us that we work from the status of being called the beloved. Our worth has been conferred upon us by the God of heaven, and therefore we work with confidence in that. It doesn't mean that we're going to reap the fruit all the time, but it means that we can labor hard knowing whose approval we already have. It's been said Christianity is the only religion out there where you get the verdict before the performance. And so work hard. But for many, some of us are going to, verse 2 is going to stand out. But I would say for many, verse 3 is going to jump off the page. Because in it, we get two vivid illustrations of blessing. See, the, the wife here is described as a fruitful vine. And the children are described as olive shoots. In the ancient world, the vine was, uh, was a symbol of fruitfulness, here obviously explicitly so, but, but it was also a symbol of sexual charm and festivity. And so commentators have noted um, that the term within, she's a fruitful vine within your house, within is actually directly related to the wife, not the vine. And so what that means is that the psalmist is drawing a direct contrast between uh, the faithful woman here and the promiscuous wife described in Proverbs 7 who is said to be loud and wayward and never staying at home. And so the point is, as one author notes, that in this psalm, the attractiveness of the wife is wholly matched by her faithfulness. The blessing of a fruitful wife comes with the addition that she is a faithful wife. And then the rest of verse 3 fills out the explicit meaning of the word fruitful ascribed to the wife. She gives a man kids. See, the olive shoots pick up on the theme produced in Psalm 127, verse 4, the, of, the, of the arrows in a warrior's hand. See, these are valued and precious commodities. They're staple commodities. Olive oil would have been a very valuable and staple commodity in the ancient world. And so what, what the psalmist is saying is that these are olive shoots. They're very valuable. See, but I know many of you here, and so that I know... Sitting in front of me right now are many stories of men and women who wish that they were married but aren't. Many, many stories of men and women who are in uh, what can only be described as less than faithful marriages. And stories of men and women who want nothing more than to have kids around their table but have been plagued by miscarriage and infertility. Sin has ravaged this world. It permeates every aspect of the creation. There is not one stone left unturned that sin has not corrupted. That needs to be acknowledged. See, my own family has not been free from this pain. Today is my youngest son Ezra's first birthday. He turns one today. Um, But in between our oldest, James, who's three and a half, and our youngest, Ezra, we had another pregnancy. Her name is Olive. See, we lost her early in the pregnancy, but Verena and I still look around our table, and we know that there's one olive shoot missing. There should be one more. 
And yet, while all of this pain is real, please, if you hear one thing, do not hear me diminishing the pain. Wherever you find yourself today, whether you are single, whether you are married with kids, whether you are married without kids, whatever, I need you to hear this. You, too, are called to participate in the spreading of these covenant blessings. I need you to hear that. See, in the Old Testament, God works through covenants that, that are in the family bloodline, right? It, this is part of the reason that Matthew's gospel starts out with a genealogy. It's because Matthew wanted to show you first and foremost that Jesus was the promised offspring, singular, uh, that we've been waiting for since the garden. He's the one that we've been waiting for. He's the son of Abraham. He is the fulfillment of Israel. He is the son of David. And so the whole of redemptive history falls under what, what can be called the, the covenant, God's eternal covenant of redemption. It's, it's one big covenant, really. So God does not have multiple plans for redemption that we are, are kind of thwarting in our sin along the way. We keep messing up his plan, and he's up there changing on the fly. No, he has one covenant. He has one plan. He has one plan from eternity past to redeem a people for himself and bless us by bringing us back to him. All of the covenants along the way that we see appearing in history serve this sovereign and wise and unchanging purpose, that he is redeeming a people for himself. And again, don't take my word for it. Let's read Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, uh, verses 3 through 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God has been working in history through covenants, but they have all been the, for the purpose of fulfilling the eternal covenant once and for all, redeeming a people for himself. But now on this side of the cross and resurrection, his covenant family is not actually spread by our blood, but it's spread by his. Right? One author puts it like this. He says, unlike the old covenant, which, with, which was ethnically restricted, but included both believers and unbelievers within the Abrahamic line, the new covenant is not restricted ethnically, but it is reserved for those who believe. And so what this means is that we, quote, make children in the kingdom now through evangelism and discipleship. That's how we make children in the kingdom. Paul himself calls Timothy and Titus his children in the faith. And do you remember that one spot in the Gospels, the, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, right? Um, one, one guy comes up to Jesus and says, hey, your mom and, and your brothers are outside and they want to talk to you. And I love Jesus because he's always kind of snarky. He comes off as just kind of snarky. But he says, Jesus responds and says, well, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. See, those who are in Christ, in the beloved, and fear God and walk in his ways. That is the household of God's covenant. That is the blessed community. And now, I need to make clear, this is not at odds with God's wise working through the biological family. 
I'm not diminishing that at all. We just did a baby dedication. By God's providence, we had both of these appearing on the same day. And so what, what we're saying, though, is that in Christ what we see is all of us, all of us are called to make disciples. We are all called to evangelize, and by doing that, we are filling our table. We are filling God's table with beautiful olive shoots. And so it does, de- does not diminish anything but uplifts things. And so by God's grace, we are called, and by God's grace, we are equipped to participate in this beautiful blessing of the covenant. And so point number three, and, and finally, um, verses five and six, right? We read, the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And so this is, is a prayer of blessing that concludes our psalm. And this, this prayer actually opens our eyes up to see that blessedness is not actually individualistic. And it's not even actually about you and your household, right? Blessedness is, is related to the larger well-being of God's community, of the whole, God's people, which also fits into the covenant promises in Deuteronomy 28, right? There we read that the, the blessings of this song, uh, the blessing that this, song's, this song is singing of is, uh, I lost my spot. Give me, give me grace. Uh, it's corporate in nature, <laughs> easy end to my sentence. The blessings of this song is corporate. It's corporate in nature. It's meant to be read as a whole. See, we, we tend to read, every time that the, the Bible says you, for whatever reason, we tend to read me, I. I don't even know if you noticed it earlier, but Tina, in her leading for us, does an excellent job of taking the songs, uh, the words of the song, and changing the I's and me's for the we's and us. Because we want to constantly be confronted that we've been called into a people. There needs to be a y'all version of the Bible to really help us out here. Someone needs to get on that and make a y'all version. See, but what this means is because this is for the prosperity of all of us, as one pastor puts it, you, Christian, are not blessed to be prosperous but generous. You are not blessed so that the blessing stops with you, but you are blessed so that it flows through you to others. And so let me, let me conclude with this. In Galatians 6, at the, at the end of a, a letter where uh, Paul is reminding us, charging us to cling to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, don't, don't, don't make your life that Instagram account where you're trying to prove to everyone else that you, you're worth it, that where you have the blessings. No, no, no. Paul is reminding us that we, in Christ, are blessed. What we read in the close of his letter in Galatians 6, verses 14 and 16, he says this, Far be it from me, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Friends, that's us. The Israel of God is us. That is the church. Those who fear God and walk in his ways through Christ. And and if you are in Christ, uh, what that means is that every spiritual blessing is yours. I don't know if you caught that earlier. So maybe you're saying like, well, I don't know if I, if I can be uh, spreading blessing on. I don't know if I can spread the blessing on because I don't know if I'm blessed. Guess what? Every spiritual blessing is yours in heavenly places. Amen. That needs to be passed on through us as a conduit. It may not feel like that right now. I, I know that it may not feel that way. But the truest reality is that those blessings are yours right now. And one day they will be fully realized in the physical presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks 
be to God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Amen. Our Father, we...